there's a lot of things obviously we can glean from the um, the passage in which we read and the portion in which we read. But I do want to zoom in on those two verses, particularly the one in verse 8. But the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. In verse 8, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. He is reminding them, in essence, or in summary, that, look, you were once given over to lusts and lasciviousness, and even given over to pleasing those that don't please God. You were given over to that, he says, but you are no longer that anymore. As a matter of fact, those people that you used to run with, those people that you used to uh, hang out with those people that you used to enjoy your sin together with. Now that you are a Christian, now that you live righteously and holy and soberly and godly, now they think it's strange that you don't run with them to the same excess of riot. You're not doing those things that you used to do. And as Christians, we ought not to do those things that we used to do. Speaking of our sins and those things that we, by the grace of God, are ashamed now. We're ashamed of now. And he reminds them that you, but also they, will give an account to God. The one who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. The quick and the dead. And so he comes down in light of that. He comes down in, in, in encouraging and reminding a people that, as far as we understand, are suffering persecution for the faith. This is the audience that he's speaking to, a, a people that are suffering persecution for the faith. They are not a people suffering because of their own sins. They are suffering because of the faith of Christ that they have and that they stand for. They are not being tormented and they don't have heartaches because of their own sins and iniquity. They have trouble and they have affliction because others have an issue with the fact that they're living for God. And they don't like that. And so they want to give them a hard time. You know why? Because all of a sudden there's a light that's come into darkness and is exposing that darkness. And what the darkness is trying to do is prevail against the light. And by the grace of God, that must never take place. Must never take place. That light must always shine. That we must always be the salt. That city on a hill that cannot be hid. Especially in these last days. And so he comes down to verse 7. And he reminds them of something, and we're not going to focus much on this, but I do want to touch on it. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. But the end of all things is at hand. When it's talking about the end of all things, the end, the completion of all things, the fulfillment of all things, it has the idea of termination because it's been completed, it's been fulfilled, it's been done. And he's saying, but the end of all things, the completion of all things is at hand. And it's interesting how he says all things. Is at hand simply means it's, it's near and drawing near. It's close and getting closer. It's at hand. The end of all things is at hand. It's close and it's getting closer. And that's a word of not only soberness, but encouragement to a, to a people that are living for Jesus and that are suffering for Jesus' sake. That there is a cost that they are paying for following Christ. And here is a word of exhortation by Peter the Apostle that, brothers and sisters, the end of all things is at hand. We are living in the last times and it has been the case since Jesus first came into the world to be born of a virgin and become 
the once for all sacrifice for sin forever. The Bible tells us that Christ was revealed in these last times for you, for us. And so ever since the time of Jesus Christ, we have been, biblically speaking, in the last times. We refer, there's other definitions or, or terms like that used in scripture in reference to the age in which we live. And it's simply characterized as the last times. These are the last days in which we're living in, brothers and sisters. I believe this is partly why uh, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians that the time is short. The time is short. We're running out of time because the end of all things is at hand. It's close and it's getting closer and it's going to come to an end one day. I believe we are living in those latter times like 1 Timothy chapter 4 talks about uh, false doctrines and seducing spirits. Perilous times. This is it, brothers and sisters. We're, we're in it. We are living in the latter times of the last times. It's not just the last times. We're living at the end of those last times. Now, mind you, these are words taken from the scripture. And how much more even today? If back then he's saying these in latter times, these things shall come. And we're seeing that now before us. Even how men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. We're seeing it ever before us. It's crazy to think about how even in the scriptures, there's no doubt about it. Back then, this is why there was a law given, even from the very beginning in the Old Testament, about what should take place to disobedient children. As a matter of fact, those that rebel against their parents God was that holy and God despised rebellion so much. As a matter of fact, he says it is like the sin of witchcraft. That's how disgusting it is and abominable it is in the sight of God. And concerning a rebellious child, it was capital punishment, punishable by death. That's how serious God took rebellion. No respecter of persons. And one of the characteristics we see in these last times that children shall be disobedient to their parents. Oh, you think, oh, that's just been normal. Now that's scary. And you and I can agree, especially as we observe the moral decline of society today, how children are not only disobedient to parents, but becoming more and more disobedient to parents. Where there once was a reverence and a fear for their mother and their father and a respect upheld there, now nothing for them, let alone any other authority out there or any other older persons. We're seeing the moral decline. You know why? We are living in the latter times of the last times. The end of all things is at hand, brothers and sisters. It's at hand. For the time of all things to come leading to an end is at hand, even as it is stated and recorded for us, even in the book of Revelation at the very beginning of the book in chapter one. And at the very end of the book, the same uh, truth is reiterated in chapter 22. And we are exhorted in the sense that when you start to see these things taking place or unfolding, Know that the kingdom of God in its physical form is also at hand. This is comforting for the children of God, for believers. The day of Christ is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And so till then, as Hebrews says it, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, the end of all things is at hand. I like uh, what one commentator said. He says, with respect to particular persons, by way of practical application, with respect to particular persons, the end of life, and which is the end of all things in this world to a man is near at hand. 
which is but a hand's breadth, passes away like a tale that is told and is but as a vapor which appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so even by way of practical thinking, yes, there's an end of all things, even in terms of time that is at hand and we, we know it and we see it prophetically speaking, but even concerning individually to a person. The end of all things may be at hand for a person individually. For when a man or a woman dies, they breathe their last breath. That's it. The end has come for them individually. The end of all things is at hand. Or with respect to the whole universe, to the scheme and fashion of this world, which will soon be gone, it will perish one day, no doubt about it. When there will be an end of all the purposes and promises of God respecting the present state of the things concerning his church and people and of the judgments of God to come. You know, we have an opportunity now to lean or stand upon the promises of God, our Savior, because there's coming a time when that end will come where there's no need for that. And the end has come even in that end. There's coming a time when we as believers and even those as non-believers are living their lives. But there will come a time when the end will come where judgment will come. And every one of us believers and even non-believers shall give an account of ourselves to God. To God. And then it's too late. The end has come. The end of all things is at hand. It's so interesting. I think there's no limit to all things. And so I think you and I are probably thinking some other thoughts in our minds concerning what all things may entail that may come to an end one day. Things like opportunities and, and, and things like uh, even opportunities to live by faith, that's going to come to an end one day. And so you and I can think of a whole list of all things. And God help us to be sobered by the fact that all those things will come to an end one day. But the end of all things is at hand. It's close and it's getting closer. You know, we're not getting stronger, we're getting weaker. You know, we're not getting younger, we're getting older. And we're not gaining more time, we're losing time. That's why we are exhorted to redeem the time that we have left, because the time is short. <clears throat> but the end of all things is at hand. As First Peter also puts it a bit further down in that chapter, from verse 17, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And as one commentator said it, com consequently, the time of their persecution and sufferings is but very short. It's but a light affliction to use the words of Paul the Apostle. The time of suffering for the faith, the time of enduring hardship and affliction for the sake of Jesus Christ. Be comforted, brothers and sisters. Even that is going to come to an end one day. That's comforting. I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to my heart to continue to receive whatever may come our way for the sake of the gospel. And it's scary to think as we see what's taken place even in the world today, just what end that might look like. Who would have ever thought that we would see it in our day and age? So close to home that people are being thrown in prison for holding a church service. Because we live in a day where it seems to be some sort of law in the land is now going against the scripture. And so what? will we do brothers and sisters this isn't a fairy tale this isn't a little story that just simply has a happy ending this is reality this is life this is happening right now 
and we need to wake up. And this is why that verse, I believe, also continues to say, <clears throat> continues to say, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be sober. Be of a sound mind. Be serious. We don't look at these things that are taking place and say, <laughs> be sober, be serious. We don't make light of these things. These are real things. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord that are suffering because they want to uphold the standard of God. They're not trying to make some sort of religious pr pr proud stand. No, they just simply want to do things God's way. And if that means suffering for it, if that means being falsely accused for it, if that means being thrown in prison for it, these ones that have tasted of the salvation of God and know what Christ has suffered for them, know that I will endure it by the grace of God. This is serious stuff, brothers and sisters. Be sober and watch unto prayer and this is why jesus calls all men to be sober to be watch and pray why lest you enter into temptation lest you come to a place where you would not stand for the for the sake of christ and for the glory of god where you will be taken by that which comes upon us that we'd be taken by surprise. Be sober and watch unto prayer. You know those that are serious for God? Oftentimes, you know what I'm talking about. There are brothers and sisters even in our midst, when you look at them, they are not characterized by people that are jokers. They are not characterized by people that just make light of everything or anything for that matter. They are not characterized by, by, by people that are just constantly laughing and laughing and laughing. Oftentimes, some of those that, are, that we can see that are most evidently, we may even call them a man of God or a holy woman of God. One characteristic we see about them is they're sober. They are a serious. They are serious. It's not that they don't laugh. It's not that they don't have joy. As a matter of fact, that's the fruit of the Spirit. As that, that, that's something that must be evident. But there's something about them that they're sober. And they're not only sober, they're watchful. They're not ignorant of the things that are taking place, let alone of the things to come. You know why? Because they're in this book and you know why else? They're on their knees. They are sober. And they are watching unto prayer you know why because they know they can fall into temptation and so you and i can testify of those in our midst and brothers and sisters this is not just simply something for some sort of elite group of people it's for every child of god that we are to be sober and watchful unto prayer <clears throat> and so just as jesus brought the gospel saying the time is fulfilled now's the time and the kingdom of god is at hand it's on offer and the one to come in the literal sense in the physical sense he says repent ye and believe the gospel repent ye and believe the gospel what are we uh, we are to take the gospel and to preach the gospel to every creature in these last times, in these latter times, in these last times. That we are to let all men know that at the times of ignorance God winked at, but now calls all men everywhere to repent. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God help us to call men to flee from the wrath to come. God help us to lift up Jesus who will draw all men unto himself who would have all men to be saved this is the heart of god god help us to know how to occupy especially in our day until he comes until the end of all things comes to pass it is at hand it is at hand it's close and it's getting closer so be sober and watch one to prayer 
But even in the midst of that, even though all these things are brought to light by way of encouraging these people of God, by continuing even in times of persecution, by enduring hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ and pressing forward for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus and, and striving together for the faith of the gospel, Although the end of all things is at hand and, and, and it's all going to come to an end one day, we are still instructed to conduct ourselves in a particular manner, even in light of that judgment to come and the end to come. Verse 8 is the verse we're going to be focusing on in the rest of our time. He says, and above all things. Think about that for a minute. And above all things. What does that mean? Above all things. So if he's coming to a place of now encouraging these people, saying, having said all the things that he said, and now he's saying above all things. Above it. Not just on top of everything necessarily to add to the list, even though you, we can say that, yes, this is not just being isolated and focused on this alone. Yes, there is an element of that, but I also believe this is being elevated above all things. If there's something you want to focus on, if there's something you don't want to miss, if there's something you want to give much attention to, then above all things. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of things. Above all things, above my preaching, above my hospitality, above my housekeeping, above my ministry, above my understanding of theology, Above my knowledge of the Word of God. And the list can go on, right? Above all things. Now, although we no doubt are to continue in even all those things that I've mentioned, but I just want you to understand above all things, have fervent charity amongst yourself. Above all things. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. You and I know how much this thing of love is elevated in the scriptures. And you and I know how much you and I have failed to view it and to apply ourselves and to receive it and follow after it with such importance as we're reading in 1 Peter, that this is something that must be found amongst us. This is something that we must have, like Peter said, above all things. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass, or a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am, what's that word? What's that word at the end of verse 2? What's that word? Nothing. You with me? Let's read it again. From verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am, what's that word? Nothing nothing and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity what's that word 
It profiteth me nothing. What do you mean it's of no profit? Oh, it's a sweet thing if you can preach like Elijah and Elisha and like those prophets of old. No doubt about it. But if you have no love, you're nothing. You're nothing. You've got faith. Praise God. You can preach. You can prophesy. Praise God. You've got knowledge of God and of His Word. Praise God. You've got faith. You believe that God is able. Praise God. You don't have charity. You're nothing. You see how reversed we've got it? We look at a man that's an eloquent preacher and we say, what a man of God. But no love. You know what God says? No, that man's nothing. You see a man that can expound the scriptures so eloquently. But no love. That man is nothing. You see a man that's gone out and he's taken, uh, as it were, even his, his family to the mission field. He's got faith that God is able to do something. But he's got no love. You know what that is? Nothing. You see, a man that has scripture after scripture after scripture can tell you a thing or two because uh, he has a knowledge of the word and a knowledge of God and he connected with so much. His knowledge is something else. But it's dry. There's no love. You know what God says about that? That's nothing. You're nothing. You know why? Above all things. Above all all things. 1 Corinthians 13 has come after the chapter where Paul has established how God sets the members in the body and God gives everyone gifts to minister and abilities to minister. But even having said all that, he comes to 1 Corinthians 13 and says the things we've already read. And he says, but if you don't have, to use the words of Peter, above all things, fervent charity, you're nothing. You're nothing. You got languages. You can speak in the tongues of men and of angels. You're nothing without love. You see how much God elevates charity? You see how much God elevates love? You see, and, uh, and, and if we're to be honest, there's even some amongst us now that is hearing this. I've heard this before and it's just like another message. But there's no seriousness of heart saying, Lord, where do I stand in this? Do we really take charity? Do we really take love as serious as the scriptures elevate it? Like it is? God help us, brothers and sisters. That above all things, we would have fervent charity among ourselves and that's the next thing we're going to focus on specifically fervent charity among ourselves fervent the word fervent there means ceaseless it's not just a half-hearted it's not just a temperamental kind of love that is demonstrated and 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 shown one toward another it's not like when I feel like it and it's not like when you do something for me, I'll do something for you. It's a fervent charity. It's a ceaseless charity. It's an unconditional charity. It's a love that does not stop like the love of God. Like the love of the Proverbs mentioned how a friend, a true friend I would say, a friend loveth at all times. The brother is born for adversity. You know what a true friend is? Someone that loves you and loves you no matter what. That love does not condone sin as a lot of people may present it to be. I just want to say that in way of passing and I'm not going to labor on that, but I am going to labor on this element that you and I do not give enough attention to and by the grace of God must give enough attention to that a friend loves at all time. That the kind of love that God wants us to show forth is a love that does not stop. It's ceaseless. It's fervent. It's unconditional. It's there and it's not going anywhere. Like the love even Ruth had for her mother-in-law. That even when Ruth's sister-in-law 
uh, left her mother-in-law after her husband died. Ruth clave, the Bible says, to her mother-in-law. That's love. Like the love David had for King Saul, that he always sought that, 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 that Saul as king would be honored as king and that his, the kingdom will advance and he sought to be the servant of Saul. And he loved Saul even when Saul sought after his life. He still did not want to touch the Lord's anointed and was going to leave that up to God. Like the love David had for even Jonathan. The Bible tells us the love he had for Jonathan was more than even a man would love a woman, so to speak. And you think about that. You think about the things that him and Jonathan would have gone through. You think about the battles they would have fought. You think about everything. Not only their friendship, their true friendship that they had, that bond that would have just bound them together so much more and more and more. Now that's the kind of love that doesn't stop. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12 says this. We don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but just listen. Paul exhorting the church of God. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Hebrews 13:1. Let brotherly love continue. 1 Peter chapter 1. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. It's a mark of a child of God. You know, one of the things we have been saved to do, to manifest this kind of love. 1 John chapter 3 actually elevates this kind of love saying you know what you got this kind of love shown forth in your life it's actually a sign of salvation this is actually one of those things that shows that you are actually saved that you have this supernatural ceaseless love for the brethren first john chapter 3 says we know that we have passed from death unto life we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know what John is saying here? Well, look at this. I'll just keep reading. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see what kind of love salvation teaches us? You see how John elevates, look, this is so closely connected with salvation that the fruit, if you want to call it that, is the love you're going to start to demonstrate for the brethren. For the brethren. A love that is unconditional. A love that shows that this is a child of God kind of love. This is a supernatural kind of love. This is a delivered from the bondage and the power of sin kind of love now being demonstrated as a result. Because we belong to God. What kind of love is that? <clears throat> what kind of love is that? You know what that, you think about this. Those that have, let me use this word, grudge against the brother and they'll never let it go. That's very concerning. Now, I'm not saying that automatically equals that they are not saved, but I'm just going to say that's very concerning. Yes, I understand bitterness can creep in and, and corrupt that pure love. And I understand that people can be defiled even by someone else's bitterness and lies toward another. I have no doubt about it. But let me just say, if someone is characterized by someone who has a grudge or hates uh, brethren, the brethren, and almost cannot tolerate the brethren, and would rather, and is okay and happy not to be amongst the brethren, 
let me say there's something seriously wrong with that person. And if that's kind of like you here this morning, there's something seriously wrong with your profession. There's something seriously wrong if you say, I love God, but I can't stand my brother. There's something wrong with you. <clears throat> to use the words of Paul the Apostle, he says, let all your things be done with charity. With charity. You know, everything we do must never have love absent. Everything we do must never leave love absent. Even when we're dealing with sin, love must not be absent. Even when we're going through, how do I say, dealing with an issue with a brother or sister, love must not be absent. Whatever we do in all that we do, love must not be absent. As a matter of fact, all of that must still be done in love, in love. I think you and I know that kind of love that was demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of love that John refers back to and saying, you see how God, you see how we can see God's love? One of the ways that we can see that God loved us, what is it? How He laid down His life for us. And John is saying that's one of the ways we know God loves us. That's why we can say when people say God doesn't love me, we say, yes, he does. No, Jesus doesn't love me. Yes, he does. Have you ever had an argument like that on the street? No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Why? Because he laid down his life. And John's saying, you see that kind of love? You know what that makes me do is what he's saying by testimony and he's also saying by way of exhortation, you know what that ought to make us do? Lay our lives down one for another because that's what love does. Love doesn't lift me up so I can have a better name than my brother. Love doesn't lift me up so I can be more better known than my brother or sister in the love. You know what love does? Love causes me to lay my life down for the sake of the brethren and for the glory of God. Because I learned that from God. And this is what the brethren learn from God. This is what the brethren learn in 1 Thessalonians. As a matter of fact, Paul said to them, ye are taught of God. I believe not only by way of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the scriptures even in the Old Testament, but by the demonstration that was shown forth on that cross, that God laid down His life for us. And you know what's in direct connection with that kind of love? That He forgave us. Just like the love demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ, even like Romans puts it, how He commended His love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what love does. Doesn't wait necessarily for others in the sense of not. I'm waiting for them to come and say sorry to me. That's not what, that's not love speaking. Salvation is where it begins, but the Lord continues that work. It's so interesting how Jesus said, "A new commandment I give you: that ye love one another." That's not a new commandment. But this is the fresh element, the new in what he's referring to is how he continues to say this, that ye love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. That ye also love one another. And you know what he goes on to say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. You know, John elevates it saying this is one way that we see this is a mark of salvation. You know, when someone gets saved, you know something you start to notice in their life? They always want to be around the fellowship. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed why they, they get saved and all of a sudden all they want to do is hang around brothers and sisters in the Lord? And that's all they want to do and they can't get enough of it. And the unregenerate look at that 
And, 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 and again, I guess to use the words of, of Peter, they think it's strange that you run not with the same excess of riot uh, like you used to. And, and you don't, all of a sudden now you're hanging out more with them than you used to with them. And, and why is that? They think it's strange. They can't work it out. And they start to come up with things like you're part of a cult or you've been brainwashed or they can't work it out. Why you want to always be around these people? What are they? They're taking you away from your family. Family first. Or you first, as some would say. But you know what a natural result is of salvation? I can't get enough of the brethren. I can't get enough of fellowshipping with the brethren. You know why? I love them. And it's the kind of love that God put in my heart when He saved me. And it's the kind of love by God's grace we must abound in, to use the words of Paul. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love us? Help me out. Tell me when you think of, a, of how Jesus loved his disciples, how Jesus loved the world, what comes to your mind? Help me out. He laid down his life. As we've already established, absolutely. That's, I think, the greatest thing. No greater love, the Bible says, has any man than this. What else? Think about some things. What did Jesus do? He washed their feet. Jesus, the Son of God, came all the way from heaven. And what was his example? One of the things? Washing their feet. And he says, if you want to be a master, you want to be chief among the brethren, you want to be yet a, 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 known, a known minister, so to speak, you wash your disciples' feet. You've got to be a servant. You've got to be a servant. Amen. What else? Absolutely. He healed their infirmities. It wasn't just bad luck for you. Now Jesus cared for the infirmities of others. He did. As a matter of fact, that was one of the things that he says, when you see this being demonstrated among you, know that the Messiah has come. What else? He forgave. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you know what that means? Do we know what that means? He forgave us. He forgave us. When I look at what Jesus did and how he taught his disciples, and there's many things there, how he taught them. He was so patient with them, especially as we see him deal with Peter. And Peter was so extreme at times. And, and Peter, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, and then wanted to stop Jesus from even thinking that you're going to the cross. Get thee behind me, Satan. How patient he was with Peter. How patient he was when even Peter denied him in that judgment hall. But still met him there when Peter went back to his old ways. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus cared for others. When Jesus looked out upon people that were left to their own devices, that had elevated traditions above the truth of the Word of God, when the Lord looked upon Jerusalem, He wept for them. Because they were a sheep without a shepherd, He cared for their well-being. He wanted to lead them not just dictate to them. He taught them. He was patient with them. He persisted with them. He prayed for them. He died for them. That He may forgive us of our sins. Brothers and sisters, He died for them that He may forgive us of our sins. And in like manner, this brings us to the end of that verse. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Yeah. You want to know what that looks like? Look at what Jesus did. Dealt with sin. Dealt with sin. Confronted sin. Exposed sin. But covered it. Mm -hmm. I should say died to cover it. Mm -hmm. Died 
to cover it. And for all those that have received Jesus as their Savior, the Scriptures speak to us like you know this. You know what this kind of forgiveness did to you and this kind of, what this kind of forgiveness ought to do to you and continue to do to you. To you. To you. Not like what you should do to me. If you have a heart like that, you're not manifesting that kind of love to them. What this ought to do to you, to us individually. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins, literally shall veil it. Shall veil it. It will be covered over. Shall veil it. Even we see in, in the way James worded it, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, he says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. It's being delivered from it, not living in it. That's not what it's talking about. Shall cover a multitude of sins. He that covereth his sins, the proverb says, shall not prosper. As a matter of fact, the scripture indicates to us, if you are a person that's trying to cover in terms of hiding your own sin because you want to continue in, in it. And also if you are a person that knows that someone is in sin and are turning a blind eye to it, both are accountable before God for that. And both will be dealt with before God. This is not what it's talking about. It's the kind of love that Proverbs says. It says, hatred stirreth up strifes. But love covereth all sins. That's what love does. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You know what that's saying to us? He that covers a transgression, he that seeks to cover the multitude of sins is seeking love. It's because of love I want to forgive. It's because of love I want to cover it and be done with it. It's because of love I don't want to stir up a fight. I don't want to keep an issue going. I don't want to just contend and have contention for the sake of it. No, love says let's deal with it, that it can be done with, but let's deal with it, that it can be covered over, because that's what love does. Love wants to cover it, not to keep bringing it up again and again and again and again and hold it against the person. He that repeateth the matter separateth. Very friends, you know, if you have an unforgiving spirit that will cut friendships and cut friendships and cut friendships and separate and separate and separate. And oftentimes those that are void of love when there's an issue between one another would often try and hide that by saying it's for the sake of truth or for the sake of something else. Don't ever ever justify any behavior that has love void from it because you know what love tells me about problem solving of issues of having something against another love says we're going to do whatever we can to get it right to cover it over to forgive because there is not an X amount of sins that love cannot cover. It covers and covers and covers and covers. That's what love does because that's what Jesus did. Even when Peter came and asked that question, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? That's enough. That's a lot of times, seven times. No. Don't put a number to it. Till 70 times 7. That's a big miscalculation, isn't it? You ever got something wrong? You've miscalculated something? You're like, oh no, I, I got that wrong. I miscalculated and, and, and it caused the problem. That's what happens sometimes when we miscalculate what love really is. When we don't calculate what God says love is and when we don't calculate what God says love looks like and we don't calculate what... Love looks like in action according to God's word. 
you're going to get it wrong. Love forgives. And this is where he says it in Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or maliciousness and be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know when, honestly, what helps me to keep my mouth shut so many times, personally, and, and, and I mean this, you know what helps me continue, no matter what happens to me, continue to labor for the cause of Christ, continue to love my brothers and sisters, continue to just pour out my soul for, by the God's grace and for His glory. And I'm not saying, brothers and sisters, look at me. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you to understand the motivation God has burned in my heart. That you do not understand what God has forgiven me from. You've got no idea. You don't understand what God has saved me from. You got no idea what God has covered. If I shared them with you, you'd probably vomit some of those things. If I shared them with you, you'd probably be disgusted with me over some of those things. And He forgave me. He forgave me. And brothers and sisters, and this is why we go out knowing that forgiveness and we go out to the lost and saying, you don't understand. God has saved me and He can save you. There's nothing you have done that God cannot forgive. While you have breath, there is hope as far as we understand. Oh, that you'd look and live. And the heart of the one that has experienced that forgiveness, that salvation with the same conviction, calls men to come to Jesus that they might know that forgiveness that covers a multitude of sins, that covers all those things that we may think, I am too far gone. You don't understand what I've done. How many times have we heard that? You know what Paul the Apostle said, knowing the forgiveness of Christ in his life, he said concerning himself, I of whom I am chief. You know, because that's what the forgiveness of God does to you. Look what it did to that woman that the Pharisee said was a sinner. And that's the name the Bible gives her, a sinner. And you know the description Jesus gives that woman that broke that alabaster box of ointment and poured it all over the Lord Jesus Christ that used her tears because she saw His feet were not washed. It was customary to wash your visitor's feet and, and Simon wouldn't even give him a water to wash his own feet with tears, wetting his feet with, the hair, with her own hair, which is, by the way, ladies, a, a, a sign of a woman's glory, with her own hair wiping his feet. And the Bible says, cease not to kiss his feet. And you know the lesson that Jesus by her was trying to teach Simon the, source, uh, Simon the Pharisee, excuse me. She knows how much she's been forgiven, Simon. She knows how much she's been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, you've got no idea what God has forgiven me from. And I think it would be fair to say, it will do you good to remember what God has forgiven you from. Now, I'm not saying go and remember every single sin you've committed, but here, like the, 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 the writer is, is, is telling them, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, bang, where does your mind go when he says, has forgiven you? And this is why I say, do we really understand that God has forgiven us? Do we really understand what the justice of God demands upon sin? Do we really understand the, the, the extent and the depth of the love of God that was demonstrated on that love for us? For us. We're forgiven. Our sins have been covered. Aren't you glad that when God forgave you, He forgave you? 
Aren't you glad, like the psalmist put it, that when he has uh, concerning your sins, that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that a sweet thing? That's the forgiveness of God because that's love. That's love. So that love doesn't deal with sin. It's just that even in dealing with sin, love is not absent. And love seeks to cover sin. Yeah. Covers the multitude of sin. I sinned against my brother. Brother, I'm so sorry. You know what love says? It's all good, brother. I'll forgive you, mate. I come back an hour later. I'm so sorry, bro. I just did it again. Bro, look, there's a problem there, mate. But look, I'll forgive you. It's all right. Let's work through it. Let's, 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 let's come back. Oh, brother, I did it again. You know what the heart of a person that's actually genuine doesn't rest and live in their sin? Oh, well, I'm just going to sin for good. And that's, that's probably my cross. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. The cross has always been born for others. The cross has always been, as we see Jesus on that cross, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. And so when Christ tells us, take up our cross, it's not because as such, because we're suffering for our own sin. No, we're dying to ourselves that we may lay down our lives for others. But love forgives. Love forgives. That's what love looks like. Do you have ought against your brother and sister? Do you have something you're still holding against someone? Do you still have a heart and an attitude saying, no, I'm not saying sorry unless they say sorry? Then maybe you haven't tasted the forgiveness of God. Maybe you have forgotten what God has forgiven you from. You know why? It, it, look, it's so easy to love someone that is so much like you. It is so easy to love someone that thinks like you, that has the same reasoning as you, so many qualities in terms of characteristics like you, it's so easy to get along with someone like that. But when you come across someone that's not quite like that, they don't get it as quick as you get it, or they don't do things as quick as you can do things, or, or they're just not as active as you are active, and, 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 and the list may go on. When things like that come up, there's something in your heart that starts to look down at your brother and sister and you start to gravitate towards these other, other ones. You know what you're void of? You're void of love. You're void of the kind of love that Jesus had. You're void of the kind of love that persists and is patient and prays and continues to work with. You're void of that kind of love that is willing to lay aside liberty for the sake of another. You're void of that kind of love. That's the kind of faith, if you say you have faith, God wants you to demonstrate. Brothers and sisters, God help us to have that kind of love. This kind of fervent charity that covers the multitude of sins. He says in 1 John, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake, for his name's sake, because of Jesus, we're forgiven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And let one, uh, excuse me, and, um, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. That's everything God is about. And you don't have it in your life. You don't know God. In this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world that we might live through Him. That's what love looks like. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God so loved us, if God in this manner loved us, so we to love one another. And further on he says, we love him because he first loved us. That's what love looks like in God. That's what love does to us. That's what love teaches us. 
And let me just appeal to you, my friend, amongst us here. If you're amongst us and you've said, I'm too far gone. I've done it again and again and again and again. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know how I've lived. God cannot forgive me. You know what that statement is? God cannot forgive me. You know what that tells me? Tells me exactly the fact that you do not know God and you have no idea about His love. This is why that is such a motivating factor, the motivating factor for all things. And this is why I believe Peter is emphasizing that above all things. My friend, if you would only get your eyes off you and your sins and see that Jesus died for it, that Jesus took your sins on that cross so that you don't have to suffer and die in it. While you have breath, if you would come to Jesus and say, God, I'm so sorry, but I know what you did for me. I deserve that forgiveness, but I sure need it. Would you save a sinner like me? And God said he will. It's that simple, don't complicate it. And this is that kind of love that imparted God's forgiveness to us, that we demonstrate one to another, that we don't get hard toward each other, but continue with fervent charity, ceaseless love, that kind of love that does not let us go. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's why the door, as we often say, is always open for reconciliation, because God's door is always open for reconciliation. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like. And so if you're not saved here, if you have not received the love of the truth, if you have not obeyed the gospel, which is God's love being extended forth to you that was shown on that cross, that you would come to Him and be saved from your sin, you can become a child of God, and be delivered from what you're in bondage to. Oh, my friends, that you'd come to Jesus this morning and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved if you'd only believe on Him with all your heart. And as for us, brothers and sisters, by way even of prayer, turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Now this again was the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where Peter was acknowledging their love for each other and, and was commending them for their love for each other in chapter 4. He says, touching brotherly love, verse 9, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. He's saying, I see it, and I give honor where honor is due, as we, as we heard uh, before, and, and I recognize it, and you're demonstrating it, and you're doing it to all the brethren but increase, yet more and more. And coming back to chapter 3, may God help us to let this be our prayer. Not only that God would help us individually, but us collectively as the body of Christ. Look with me from verse 11. And he says there, Now God Himself and our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you, and the Lord, verse 12, make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Brothers and sisters, you know what he's saying here? 
amongst things towards the end. He says, you know what that love will do to you? That will prepare you and keep you for the end of all things. But the end of all things is at hand. When that day comes, when our Savior comes, you know what love will keep you in and produce and keep, or as it said in verse 13, establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. That's what love can do for us and what God has designed it to do in us to that end, that we don't lose sight of that end and that we continue in love. But the prayer is in verse 12. That the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. Paul's not saying, hey, you all better just love one another and he wasn't loving on them. As a matter of fact, even as we see Paul says elsewhere that he was being questioned, he was being rejected as it were, he was being almost forgotten for all the labor that he had bestowed upon the brethren and he says, the more I love you, the less I be loved. But you know what Paul did? Continue to love them. Continue to love them. You know why Paul loved the brethren that way? Because God loved Paul that way. And Paul knew how God loves him. And that's how Paul wants to love everyone else that way. But let our prayer be like it was Paul the Apostles for the church in Thessalonica that was loving one another, but that they would abound yet more and more that we would pray that the Lord would make us to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, not just the brethren, not just the household of faith, but to all men, even as Paul did by his example also. And so let that be our prayer, brothers and sisters, one toward another, that we would be fervent in charity. Fervent in charity. It's so interesting that we would keep this above all things. Go back with me to 1 Peter. We'll just read it one more time. Just the one more time and we'll close off there. 1 Peter chapter 4, look with me in verse 8. Let's read it together now. Together. Ready? Begin. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Above all things. Amen. Amen.